0: Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Experts Only. I'm your host, John Powers. Today we are going to be talking to Adam Browning, who's the CEO of Vote Solar. Go to votesolar.org. Vote Solar has really done incredible work over the last almost 20 years, helping to drive policy and regulation to move our industry forward. You know, many of you heard Adam before on this, this show. He's uh, really has a great pulse uh, on what's going on across the industry. And I wanted to talk to him about really what things look like in 2021 uh, with the new Biden Harris administration at the state level. Uh, we get into the nuts and bolts of how we're really going to drive clean energy access for all for folks. I hope you enjoy the conversation and uh, you can go to cleancapital.com to get more episodes, but make sure you go to votesolar.org as well and and donate or find out a way to get involved because the work they do driving the issues we care about forward is so critical. I hope you enjoy. Adam, thanks for being back on Experts Only. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So... Vote Solar is coming on almost your 20-year anniversary here. Uh, you started back in 2002. It's a pretty amazing run
1: so far. It's for, hard to believe. Hard to believe, but true.
0: Yeah. For for the audience, t- tell uh, folks who aren't familiar, you know, the, so the the mission of Vote Solar and some of the stuff you guys have been working on uh, in the last few years.
1: Yeah, so we're you know a nonprofit public advocacy organization. Uh, got our start in March of 2002 officially. Uh, after doing a ballot initiative in the city of San Francisco, uh, our goal initially was just to bring solar energy into the mainstream. Working state by state, like how do we set the right rules of the road, the right policies in order to create a vibrant solar market. With the goal of bringing down the cost of solar, Uh, now that solar is really cheap, in some cases, the the cheapest energy source, our mission and our focus has shifted. Uh, Our goal is now uh, 100% clean electricity, equitably deployed, uh, with a real focus on ensuring that the, the benefits and the participation in this new energy economy that we're building are equally shared by all. We still work principally at the state level, and you know, last year we had uh, one of our biggest years ever, where we intervened in regulatory legislative proceedings. I think we had about seventy-eight different regulatory proceedings, fourteen different major legislative campaigns, results of which we're looking at forty-four gigawatts of new solar uh, demand, as well as uh, really impacting over thirty percent of the, uh, the U.S. population. So, we go to where all the many of the the most important decisions are made, which is at the state level.
0: Let's talk about a state level work for a second. Um, and I'm, we are going to talk just for the, the audience a lot about 2021 20, and beyond and what to expect out of the new administration. But because for the last four years, you know, the fight has not been at the federal level. It's been a state by state chess game. And you all have been incredibly effective in in that fight. How did you have to sort of shift your strategy, say, looking back over the last few years and execute to be able to play that state by state game. And then for folks that you know that that have assets or or companies in the states, how can they be more engaged to help push these policies at the state level?
1: Yeah. so you know since our founding, we were really focused on a state by state approach. You know, hmm. this country does have a commitment to federalism when it comes to many of the major decisions around energy policy uh, federally. You know, we've mostly looked at uh, tax policy, frankly, as a, right. uh, a sweetener uh, that helps the states that want to go someplace uh, go faster. So, you know, I think the advantage here is, A, it's a venue where most decisions are made in front of public regulatory commissions, public utility commissions, state legislatures. They're the ones that establish, say, like clean energy standards, renewable portfolio standards. Um, they do the rate making that uh, really drives distributed generation. And the secret there is like, there is no cookie cutter approach. Uh, You need to like have bespoke uh, campaigns in every place where you reverse engineer, power map, who's making decisions, how are they influenced. Our focus, our, uh, it's not patented game plan, but it's uh, open source here, but is uh, (laughs) inside and outside strategy where you first have deep regulatory analysis, you make your case with numbers, um, you lawyer up and you get in- involved in the proceedings, but you never win just because you're right. You wrap around right. the campaign uh, that really drives the politics and taps into the fact that super majorities of people in this country want to see this transition. And you turn that into a you know a campaign uh, that uh, that matches your regulatory intervention and analysis. So we have always partnered with trade associations like SIA, uh, principally, who really focus on how do you make change at the uh, through Congress, through and that really is a whole separate ballgame that uh, of expertise and of policy instruments. That just out of a need to stay focused, we've uh, deferred uh, to their leadership when it comes to that.
0: And, and how do you find the balance at the state level from, I mean, you could put all your eggs into California and spend all your time just working California rules and regulations because it's the Super Bowl of, of clean energy, but you guys are focused on advancing stuff in Florida and Michigan and Massachusetts and in, in places like Oregon, New Jersey, how do you, how are you sort of structured to manage across such a, uh, you know, almost a 50 straight, st- 50 state strategy? Yeah, not quite
1: 58. I think we're about 28 different states at different levels. We've uh, organized, we're now 35 people and we've set up a uh, a regional structure where uh, we have senior regional directors for the major regions that then deploy both those regulatory and campaign assets uh, um, in parallel. Uh, You know, uh, i you're absolutely right. Uh, you could put 35 people on California policy and still have uh, right, holes right. In open. So um, our approach has been like this whole clean energy transformation can't be a California only. This needs to be really national. Everybody needs to feel uh, that they have a role and a benefit uh, in this clean energy transition. So We mostly focus on places that want us, that uh, have uh, a core of policy support, and I'd say we probably have thirty percent where we reserve to like the super hard states where you're swimming upstream, but you got to start somewhere um, and uh, provide a a, a foothold, a beachhead, and uh, uh, and build uh, something that 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 momentum where it hadn't been before. I will say, you know, we got our start working in the southeast. and uh, opportunistically a, a foundation wanted our partnership and it has been one of the most rewarding things of my career um and that's interesting working uh, it is you know the southeast now has some of the, the largest growth and some of the most biggest opportunities um and uh you know can you talk about
0: the, that for a second like what do you see has been it was the misconception and I would argue I would probably have those same misconception myself when you look at the southeast people are just like look you they to wrestle with the utility monopolies, and the the, the demand is just yet yet to be there, but it sounds like it's changing.
1: Oh yeah, you know, I, and again, this might be in the southeast. I think you have some of the strongest. Uh, the, the utilities are strongest there, uh, yeah. where they, uh, have the loudest voice and the most power within the legislatures, as well as the regulatory bodies. And, uh, uh, they're also, you know, we, I cut my teeth, you know, first in California and then in, uh, Arizona where, you know, solar has never been just a blue state phenomenon. Like we learned pretty early how to right. um, work in a much more conservative environment with, different approaches, different policies. Um, The the politics just seemed really daunting in the Southeast until we, again, went in first in Georgia uh, with a long-term strategy of finding the local voices that were most resonant with the policymakers there um, and then providing that type of uh, disciplined regulatory analysis and then campaign support. And you know the Carolinas, I think they're incredibly promising areas as well. Uh, And uh, you know Duke is the largest uh, utility in the country, and we have a lot of direct engagement right now. Uh, You know they've adopted uh, voluntary net zero goals, but their IRP is still chock full of gas. Uh, They want to build something like ten to fourteen gigawatts of new gas, and I think we have a good strategy for. Uh, for skipping that as we roll off a goal, skipping that gas and and going directly to clean.
0: Looking back at at 2020 or even maybe 2019 through through today, is there any one or two campaigns that you're exceptionally proud of uh, getting over the goal line?
1: You know, I think this energy transition happens on many levels. There's a rooftop, there's a a community solar element uh and then you know there's a huge excitement around uh 100 clean energy and right. uh you know this past year which uh, we
0: would have laughed at 10 years ago but now it's a reality oh
1: my god you know like i remember when you know california like trying to get to 10 percent was like <laughs> right. oh my god that seems so aspirational um, <laughs> right and now it uh now it doesn't uh nice so you know through you know, I think that's been another element of our work is that uh, you know, there, there is some benefit of incrementalism as you um, set a goalpost as far as you can, build power, and then continuously set it farther and farther. And you can get to a point where um, you can get to a point right now where we have you know nine states with 100% clean energy laws. These aren't right. aspirational goals. They have compliance deadlines as well as penalties if they're not achieved. And two of these happened in the past year. So uh, Virginia, you know, was uh, really right before COVID hit. And just such a wonderful win that immediately changed the entire conversation around, you know, Dominion pulled their IRPs, got rid of like the plans to build gas. And now it's clean going forward.
0: Uh, As a former Virginia resident, I'll tell you, I was shocked, obviously very pleasant, very pleased to see that, but knowing how hard it is to move, to have to move Dominion in the right direction, but they did, they did. Because and they to
1: got be pushed. clear, yeah, you know, that was really a win by many local advocates that have been for sure. really long and hard. So I do not want to uh, overclaim victories here. There are so many groups that are, uh, I think that it's a real lesson to learn, which is that, you know, all politics is local.
0: and uh, uh, Yeah, wow. but you, I think the advantage of you, you all coming in and supporting that is having the data, having the homework, having the track record, having the playbook for folks to execute on, right? Because the lo- it's no more powerful than the folks locally, but they don't often have the playbook to know what what how you how you won things in Florida and how you won things in North Carolina and in southern states.
1: So we were pleased to play a supportive role, uh, but particularly in Virginia, like the real hats off go to the, the local leaders. In That's January great, and and everywhere, uh, Arizona is the other place uh, where uh, it's not a renewable energy win, but uh, a hundred percent carbon free uh, win and the politics of Arizona are complicated and they're dynamic and they're changing. And we've worked there for a really long time, but, uh, you know, we talk about the, like the last four years, uh, whether we were bereft of federal action, I think we had some of like the best state success over these last four years for a couple of reasons. One, you know, the cost has just been dynamically, has just been Changed where we're, we're uh, having very different conversations about how much it'll cost versus how much it will save to go renewable. Secondly, uh, in the face of a federal government absolute intransigence, you had state leaders who were like, "Oh, cavalry's not coming to the rescue." Right. If we're going to win on this, like it's up to us, and I think that is really the mindset that we all need to like keep and maintain as we uh, as we go forward. Um, Leadership happens at every level. You cannot wait for somebody else uh, to solve this problem for you.
0: Uh, take this matter into your own hands and run with it. Yeah, I think it's really important. And we talk about this on the show a lot how the actually the fundamentals of the industry are very strong now for the last decade. You've got a workforce that's trained, you've got capital that is cheaper than ever before, that is trusting in the long term viability of this as an asset. Uh, and you have, um, because of the work you guys are doing, the right rules and regulations falling into place. And then, you know, the next phases, which I do want to talk about a little bit later is, you know, how we make it more equitable and the opportunities that are there. But I do want to say, you know, with the strong fundamentals that are in place, the change that is happening at the federal level may really uh, provide an opportunity to continue to accelerate the work that's been done uh, the last few years. We talked a little bit offline, and, and I think you, you reminded me that uh, Governor Graham hold who's going to be hopefully the next Secretary of Energy, was a a, a vote uh, vote Solar 2012 Advocate Award winner, which is amazing. A Solar Champion Award, yes. So. What do you sort of see with her leadership at DOE, um, and what to sort of, what to expect uh, over the next few years in terms of some of the changes from especially from what we've seen the last four years?
1: Yeah. Um... You know, DOE is a really interesting agency, and uh, who you choose to lead it sort of, I think, signifies what you think your theory of change really is right now. And so our question right now, if we're thinking about transforming energy, is it uh, really, do we need to invent new energy sources? Is it uh, principally an R&D question? And this isn't an either or, this is where your emphasis is. Yes. You know, you would choose a Nobel Prize winning physicist. If your theory of change is that there are R and D is necessary and important, and we really need to think about deployment, we need to think about manufacturing supply chains, we really need to think about taking the technology we have and putting it to work to productive and equitable uses, then you pick someone like Governor Granholm, who, as a governor, uh, held executive office, championed a renewable portfolio standard in her state, uh, has been really focused on growing the uh, supply chains around solar and also critically around transportation like you know detroit she uh really leaned in hard to clean energy i remember once driving to a meeting many years ago to meet with her and uh i had a volkswagen tdi running on veggie oil and uh she uh i never heard the end of like showing up in uh in detroit wasn't, uh, <laughs> detroit. And, uh <laughs> You know, she is a huge champion uh, <laughs> right. of like, reinvigorating our manufacturing sector around the technologies of the future. And so this is what that signals, is that this is about when Biden talks about, uh, when he looks at climate change, he sees jobs, this is how you put paid to that premise. And uh, I think it'll be, a, this will really be about deployment, about jobs, about growing our economy in very productive ways around the technologies of the future. That's what
0: I see. Yeah, so for people that aren't as familiar with, with the governor, if you sort of step back for a second, I think Adam's point is uh, right on here, If you look at who Obama appointed. they were they were all doctorates. Um, they had they were very focused in the technology or the acceleration of the technology. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what the governor has done post her time in Michigan the last few years to help focus on what just exactly what you're mentioning, uh, which are really about sort of the the next phase of the industry, right the acceleration of the industry
1: yeah I mean, yeah while she was governor uh, in Michigan, she was really focused on sure. renewable energy. Uh, she definitely played a role during the Obama administration in rescuing of the uh, auto sector um, yeah. um, you know keeping keeping those companies alive and being a strong catalyst for the transformation to uh, uh, the electrification of transportation. she's On a couple of different boards of clean energy companies, that uh, Proterra, the electric bus company that manufactures in uh, uh, South Carolina, um, as well as I believe California, but don't quote me on that.
0: Yeah, Uh, they do. I've had Ryan on the podcast or in California. There you go. (laughs) Uh,
1: So you know, these are you know, I think we are trying to fundamentally remake how we get our electricity, and there's a huge opportunity to capture a lot of upside in jobs and uh, so she's been a lecturer here at uc berkeley she lives out here in oakland now i presume she'll be going back to dc this isn't something you can do just by zoom right not at all i don't need to speak for the governor on this but uh, uh uh you know she has that now real focus on that private sector experience of like how do you really build the companies necessary uh to completely you know transform our economy around clean energy resources
0: so. No, that's great. And, and look, I don't make this whole episode about the Biden-Harris plan, so I'll sort of put that to the side. But this will be coming out around Inauguration Day. And I think one of the things that's very exciting in the drumbeat sort of post-election is that we're seeing climate leaders being put across multiple agencies. They're being put at Department of uh, uh, Transportation. They're being put at uh, Treasury. They're really focused on in t- places like Interior, which are so critical to transmission and BLM. Uh, climate is no longer... Going to be focused in one specific area, but it's going to really uh, come across the entire sort of bureaucracy as a whole. Plus, you have leaders like John Kerry coming in to focus on the international space, uh, and um, uh, Gina McCarthy, the former EPA administrator, focused on the d- domestic climate uh, policy. How do you see that sort of transformation helping in the work that we're doing, the solar industry? And do you, you sort of see? the return of federal leadership accelerating some of the work you're doing at the state level, or is it going to be something that, you know, people are still afraid it's going to disappear in four years?
1: Yeah. I mean, let's just start with, you know, first Biden, uh, won on a climate platform. He campaigned, sure. uh, in swing States in the last moments of the campaign around climate. Um, and uh, uh, you know we've seen a lot of polls that show that bipartisan support for this clean energy transition are through the roof. So what I see now uh, that you've articulated is uh, a desire to like actually govern uh, with that mandate. And you know I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of this is really also a part of, of looking at climate as a, a solution set rather than as a problem set. this is about, right providing jobs and reducing costs and increasing the quality of life uh, rather than a painful giving up of things that uh, we would otherwise like. And uh, in order to achieve that, yeah, it is uh, multi-agency, it's multi-sector, it's multi-dimensional. First and foremost, you know the government, the federal government is a enormous consumer of energy and has a lot of building stock and a full transformation of that uh, uh, to be you know, centers of climate solutions, I think is going to be uh, really be a shot in the arm in terms of growth for demand opportunities. There are a ton of things that uh, the federal government can do to help remove obstacles and um, provide tailwinds rather than headwinds to the fundamentals of the market, as you point out, that are already in place. And so I look at like the transformation of FERC right now and, you know, Alison Clements uh, is a huge champion of really using wholesale markets, uh, that, that intersection between individual participants and getting value through wholesale markets. Like she's been working on sustainable FERC for a long time. Like she is a wonks wonk that really Understands that state. Cli- you need to be, state to be a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um And I think you know her leadership is going to be transformational and uh, and wonderful. So uh, I think you know what that final agenda looks like will uh, depend a lot on whether or not uh, how the, the elections go in Georgia and the balance of power in the Senate. of Whether Absolutely. there's going to be some legislative options available, but even without, there is uh, a huge amount of just executive action and the power of the purse um, that the federal government can do. I also see, uh, regardless of how things go in early January in terms of the balance of power at Senate, um, we are, you know, Europe right now, much of the rest of the globe is talking about a green recovery, like how do we catalyze an economic recovery that this pandemic has brought on? in a way that also prevents the next disaster. And um, we just here in the U S haven't had either at a state or federal level. There's just been no oxygen in the room to have these discussions. Um, everyone's right. been focused on what happens to schools, what happens to restaurants, what happens to state budgets, um, whether or not we continue to have a constitutional democracy. Um, right. <laughs>
0: like
1: that. And we haven't been able to Important like topic. really <laughs> have like, of focused, like uh, a focused effort on the recovery, that all changes in January, both at federally as state as the vaccine rolls out. And so that's what I anticipate much of the spring to be about is uh,
0: the the economic change. Yeah. I feel the, the benefit. I mean, one opportunity is, is that that conversation about the green recovery has happened in the circles where We're prepared to move forward when the bandwidth opens up post, uh, you know, vaccine getting out and people getting a chance to catch their breath. So I feel like there's some really good solutions being pushed. To get to some of these climate solutions, solar is going to be such a critical part of the solution set, and the work you guys are doing will only continue to accelerate and be more important. So looking into 2021, I want to talk about first some of the regulatory and maybe legislative or campaign goals you guys have, or are putting in place looking into 2021, how people can play a role in that, but also how we can ensure sort of equal access now to clean energy. And uh, you guys are doing such great work uh, in, the, in the climate environmental justice space um, to ensure access. So I, I definitely wanna spend a little bit of time on that. So looking into 2021, you know, at the state level, like, one, what are some of the regulatory initiatives that you're focused on and hope to succeed over the next year?
1: Yeah, so uh, and I think it really does make sense to also address equity right now um, sure. and right. the way that we have completely changed how we go about our work. Uh, so we have reorganized and restructured into these regional teams with the express interest and desire to build durable and authentic partnerships with the communities that we wish to serve, with environmental justice and frontline communities, and have them set the agenda to uh, describe the problems that they would like to solve and put our partnership to work into supporting those. Um, The premise here is that we cannot get to 100% uh, without really articulating Um, Both a goal as well as a process that serves the interests of everybody. And I will just say that, like this, uh, when I look at some of these largest wins that we've seen most recently, so New York passing like a seminal 100% clean energy law, that would not have happened, full stop, without the leadership and the direct leadership of traditionally marginalized communities of environmental justice advocates. And that policy would have not gotten across the finish line if it did not also require an implementation that looks at uh, how do we use clean energy to provide for uh, the energy burden, reduce the energy burden of uh, low-income families? How do we provide for job training that serves the communities uh, where it is needed most? Those were pieces of that legislation that were critical parts of it actually succeeding. So, this, you know, when I describe, you know, this change in our process and our focus, you know, we we have seen the results already collectively uh, of how critical a reorientation of right. the solar advocacy and environmental advocacy movement of which I've been a part of for a long time. So going forward, yeah, go ahead. I
0: was going to say it's a really. I mean, one of the things we we're looking at on the finance side was how do you incentivize the, for instance, the tax equity providers to understand that incorporating LMI communities into community solar is not actually a risk to them, but an opportunity. Uh, and and you know we've been discussing different ways to uh, put the right incentives in place, whether it be you know adjusting the tax credit to a tax grant if you incorporate so much LMI, right? So there's got to be the, those levers in place to help, or or is there, you know, the, can the green banks put some type of credit wrap around deals so that, you know, the fear of folks who aren't, may not pay their bill, right? Like that's, that's the concern you hear on the finance side, right? And I think those are very easily uh, achievable uh, or the, the obstacles are, can be overcome pretty easily, as long as we're thinking in the mindset, it's not just about setting the goal, but like, how do you actually overcome some of those obstacles along the way? Uh, and I think the work you guys are going to do is going to be critical there.
1: And that's a key part of what I feel like we bring to the table is like yes, you need to set a goal, but we have a saying at Vote Solar like um, the passage of major legislation marks the beginning of your right. effort, <laughs> not the end of your effort. <laughs> right. Um, right, exactly. Uh, the implementation and solving those is is absolutely key. And so, our access and equity team has set up a advisory group that is helping us to really understand the uh, sticking points in terms of implementing these low-income solar uh, solutions and devising uh, policy and other programs in order to uh, bridge those gaps so that these actually work to serve the interests of real people in real places.
0: Absolutely. So are there specific state targets that you guys have worked up or that you going to share? You may not want to be able to share them, but uh, that you really focus on in the, the the coming 12 months. So if we have this conversation next December, you'll be able to sort of highlight the progress you made in some of these emerging markets.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we're going to be working for 100% clean energy or uh, acceleration uh, of those goals in a bunch of different states. You know, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Michigan, Illinois is a place where right. uh, this is incredibly ripe. It has been You know, had a governor that campaigned on this back in uh, uh, 2018 and uh, still has uh, yet to get this over the finish line. So we have a bunch of different states where we believe that uh, we can establish state level requirements that require 100 percent clean energy and getting that over the, uh, the finish line. Uh, On the regulatory level, you know, as soon as the pandemic hit, uh, we made a pivot where we looked at like how what what is most needed right now? What what how can we work to the highest and best use of our abilities in this space? And we just we dug into, you know, there's a lot of people that have lost their jobs and that aren't going to be able to pay their utility bills How can we devise a program that helped the people that is hurting the most and came up with this idea called clean relief for energy debt, Mm -hmm. uh, which in essence is as we work to ensure that people don't have their electricity cut off because uh, they've lost their job, they're still mounting a a great amount of debt. How do we, you know, utilities are going to look to socialize all this. In exchange, how do we ensure that we develop, we get utilities uh, to really focus on using clean energy to reduce the energy burden? So it is a regulatory play uh, that we're implementing in a bunch of different places that really, again, centers the benefits of clean energy on the people that are hurting the most at this point. I think that it's really, it's important from a moral perspective, and it's also important to just show what is possible going forward and to align clean energy's interest with the interests of, uh, again, the people that are at most at risk right now. So I think we're going to get, we've, uh, got a couple of States that, uh, we're working on that Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, Arizona, Minnesota will be another place. where um, we'll see that going forward. There are really large questions right now on what is the best pathway forward to clean energy. And, uh, we, helped fund an analysis that came out recently uh, with Vibrant Clean Energy, Dr. Chris Clack, that looked at the different pathways to getting to 95% clean energy. Uh, Now, this is really important because we're trying to articulate uh, as coal rolls off, we're trying to make sure that we're not building gas in the interim, that we go directly to clean. And uh, this analysis looked at five different pathways, really a focus on centralized generation, uh, to a couple of different other scenarios, and found that in order to get to that ninety five percent clean energy, the most cost effective pathway was one that really focused uh, and built around uh, distributed generation. And this is just you know putting a high level sort of you know deep analysis to prove what, should feel rather uh, intuitive, which is that through distributed generation, generating electricity closest to usage, you can reduce the collective infrastructure costs. Sure, uh, in Absolutely. ways that uh, uh, bring down costs for everybody. And the number on that is uh, four hundred seventy-eight billion, half a trillion dollars cheaper pathway than really uh, uh, a different one. So, is that is up, that
0: analysis public?
1: It is public. It's on I'm our standing. website. Uh, it is also uh, on the coalition for ccsa uh we'll link to it we'll link to it <laughs>
0: we'll, we'll <turn laughs> right it so make and, sure you go to vote solar.org for folks that are listening and
1: take it there you go there you go um so i i do think you know a big part of the next agenda for the state level is really around clean energy portfolios like how do you find the flexibility in the system and put it to productive use in order to uh, eliminate the need for, you know, dispatchable generation. Sure. And so it, we're we're in a scenario right now where the whole in order to get a lot more, so, you know, solar, we also need to look at the entire uh, a flexibility agenda with the entire clean energy portfolio, which is, you know, storage is something uh, where we're seeing incredible cost reductions and a lot of growth. Demand response is something that is also, you know customer centric and really not tapped anywhere near uh, agree it's more, yeah. its, uh, uh, its ability to provide for uh, grid benefits and we need that. we we fundamentally need that.
0: does, does your sort of widening and mission to include clean more clean energy technologies like that allow you to touch storage, demand response, and some of these other really key pieces to the the agenda? Yeah, you know like you're we, not limited to just focusing on solar only type of solutions which i think right we might be aware of
1: (laughs) we've been there for a long time uh we're going to keep the vote solar name it's charismatic uh and i don't think uh you know the vote beneficial ders is uh (laughs) 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 Um, but
0: for uh, 222 but as
1: we dive into this again you know this comes out of like some you know really painful battles. And so sure. this is a point that has been uh, forged in uh, uh, on the campaign field. You know, the first, when you see utilities wanting to build a large amount of new gas, you know, they first say it's cheaper. And as soon as you shoot that down, uh, then they say, but well, we needed to keep the lights on. And yeah, that's, you know, a career ending problem for policymakers. And so really highlighting the path forward for uh, achieving the same level of reliability uh, through you know, that suite of of uh, of distributed energy resources that deliver the necessary flexibility, linked with also you know broadening of uh, balancing areas. I think there's a macro as well as a micro solution. Our challenge is to is twofold one to convince policymakers that uh, this is a viable pathway going forward, and then two to lay out the blueprint, the specific policy blueprint to have this actually show up. And it, it's not academic. like we are. Right. At, the point where we're not just pointing many years, like this is a problem you down the road. Uh, this is like, how do we make this happen right now? The the awesome thing is, is like there's a lot of great new technology platforms that are uh, out there. And this is fundamentally a resource that reduces costs for everybody and drives revenue to customers. There is a win-win-win here. Um, Absolutely. And uh, we just all need to lean into it.
0: So one, one final question, you know, for for sort of a challenge to the audience, if there's any way folks can get involved in 2021 to really help to move, I think, the really critical agendas forward. Number one, I'll tell you all to go to votesolar.org and make sure you donate uh, so that they've got the capital to execute. And if your organizations aren't involved uh, in supporting Vote Solar, make sure they are. Uh, but what other actions can we, would you ask the audience to do?
1: Yeah, we have a pathway to sign up uh, to be a Vote Solar member on votesolar.org. And, you know, this, uh, if you give us your geographic location, at least your zip code, uh, will allow us to connect you into the local state campaigns that um, are most critical to, uh, um, to you. And the hope is that, you know, while we do that regulatory analysis, we always marry it with a Uh, an outside uh campaign like we need to have the parade there to show policymakers that not only is this the smart thing to do but it's the popular thing to do and so we our fundamental premise is that we want to plug the super majorities of people that uh uh that want to participate in this change and find the venues and plug them in to be active participants there as well so that's the first thing i would do
0: that's excellent. Um, and I think there's no stronger advocate than the person who's going to come from the the member zip code, right? So if you're flying in from California or from Washington, D.C., it's much stronger when you have someone sitting with you who's a local advocate. Uh, so be part of the team. Go to votesolar.org and sign up. Adam, thank you so much for the time and really look forward to working with you all this year to push some of these things forward.
1: Really appreciate it. And thank you for all the great work you do. I always enjoy these conversations. Uh, You always show me another facet of uh, what's going on in the world that I hadn't considered before. So thank you. Well, thank you.
0: you. Thank you. And thanks to to Emily uh, from Vote Solar for helping to put this together and to our producers, Colin Young and and Carly Batten for, as always, uh, making sure these episodes work. You can go to cleancapital.com to get more episodes. And as always, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.